And this is Talking Space, episode 1602. Today is Saturday, February 17th, 2024. And that launch audio you just heard, if you didn't skip over the intro like us podcast listeners do from time to time, uh, that was from the SpaceX Falcon 9 launch from Kennedy Space Center in Florida that Mark Ratterman and I attended just a couple of days ago, courtesy of our special guest tonight. Chantel Beyer. And that Falcon 9 rocket carried the intuitive machine's Nova C-class lunar lander Odysseus on the IM-1 mission to land a U.S.-made lander softly on the moon for the first time since the last Apollo mission, Apollo 17, in 1972. We'll get to this story and several others, but first some introductions. Joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Good evening, Gene. Good evening, Larry. I'm looking forward to this. Me too. And uh, Mark Ratterman is with us as well. Mark, good evening. It's been a big week. I'm glad we're here. Yeah, we've spent way too much time together. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> our special guest tonight is Chantel Beyer of Forspace. Chantel's company was the driving force behind the addition of the world's first art exhibit on a lunar lander. If the IM-1 mission is successful, then Jeff Kuhn's piece called Moon Phases will be the world's first permanent art exhibit on the moon. Good evening, Chantel. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me back here. Ah, it's good to have you back. Got a lot to talk about tonight. But first, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of a few things on the news roundup. So, uh, Mark, if you want to start us off, uh, we have a story that I'm looking at here that you cryptically titled Martians Wanted. That sounds interesting. Tell us something about that. Yeah, I remember uh, sometime last year talking about a uh, NASA mission called CHAPIA, Crew Health and Performance Exploration Analog. And this is a crew of four that's spending a simulated year on Mars 
while staying on Earth, but they have regular updates that I've heard on um, a NASA podcast. And it's quite interesting to hear the dynamic of the crew. So NASA wants Martians? Guess what? They're looking for a call for crew for the next year mission, which will start off in the spring of 25. We'll have a link in the show notes. But um, if you look into Chapea, it's C-H-A-P-E-A dot NASA dot gov. I think you'll find a lot of interesting things about the habitat they're in and the way that they're conducting the mission. But if you want to be part of a crew on Mars, give it a shot. Martian analogs aren't uh, any, you know, anything new. Uh, in fact, uh, I believe, too, that uh, NASA has a project going on called uh, HERA, which has already flown several crews, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, these are four or, or up to four or six individuals that have been in, in an enclosed area for a prolonged period of time just to see not only how to perform experiments, but also group dynamics and so on, and what what personalities work with uh, uh, with a long term mission, and that's something too we're kind of learning uh, the personality or the personality traits that may be very very conducive to a two week shuttle mission, say in in the past, uh, may not be the best personality traits for a six-month-long uh, tour on the ISS or e an even longer uh, sortie out to Mars. So I'm sure that that's why these uh, these things are, are being set up. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what the results are from, from all of this. And sooner or later, we'll, we'll get our, our ducks in the row, so to speak, with, with everything we need to know to get to Mars and, uh, and give it a shot. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> let's hope that uh, the JPL layoffs that we are dealing with recently uh, don't uh, delay all those experiments and those missions even more. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, Larry, back on February 6th, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena let go of about 8% of their workforce. According to an article in Space News, that amounted to about 530 JPL employees and 40 contractors. In January, uh, JPL had just let go of about 100 contractors. And it's all for the same reason, the uncertainty over the Mars sample return budget. Now, according to the Planetary Society's Casey Dreyer, uh, this whole thing started in Congress with a budget fight over how much money to allocate for the uh, Mars sample return mission. A second internal review board recently concluded that uh, sample return was a mission that wasn't just wasn't doable under under its current architecture. And NASA decided to go ahead, take a step back, take a breath and review the program that was and that review is still ongoing. The U.S. Senate responded by slashing the Mars sample return budget to the bone to the tune of about $300 million in the yet-to-be-passed 2024 budget. Excuse me. The U.S. House of Representatives, however, responded doing the exact opposite, allocating what the Biden administration wanted for the mission, which was about $949 million. Right now, the budget impasse 
that exists between the two legislative bodies. And oh, by the way, we're now four months into the U.S. fiscal year of 2024 without a budget. Now, with no clear direction from Congress and until a concrete budget's enacted, NASA decided to look at the sample return budget from a worst case scenario position, aka the three million, the three hundred million dollars, and act accordingly. Now, JPL has the lion's share of the uh, sample return activities, and they indeed took the largest hit. But they may not be the only center that is in this budget crossfire. The Goddard Space Flight Center was preparing an element of the Mars Sample Return Mission, the Capture, Containment, and Return System, which is expected to pick up the Mars samples in orbit and then return them to Earth. That system was put on hold pending the results of the new architecture review. Now, according to Casey Dreyer, there are two, there were reports that contractors at Goddard who were working on that element were beginning to be let go. And according to a letter in Congress, Goddard has received orders to conduct an orderly shutdown of that component. And there may be other ripple effects throughout the agency that we just don't know about yet. Now, back on February 1st, before all the layoffs occurred, Congressman Judy Chu of California's 28th District teamed up with Congressman Adam Schiff of California's 30th District to craft a letter to the Office of Management and Budget and uh, its director, Shalanda Young. I'm sorry, I think I butchered her first name, and I do apologize about that. Uh, they advocated uh, that there should be a reversal of these budget cuts. The letter was signed by a total of 42 members of the House, including former Speaker Nancy Pelosi and both of California senators. She also appeared on the POTUS channel's Julie Mason show, uh, making an impassioned plea on behalf of the Mars sample return mission. Conversely, there was a letter from a delegation of members of the House from Maryland and Virginia expressing staunch opposition to the Mars sample return, saying that, quote, we strongly oppose funding for the Mars sample return mission at any level greater than the Senate Commerce, Justice, and Science Bill. In other words, at the $300 million level. The claim here is that full funding of the program now is going to go ahead and hamper NASA's ability to reconstruct the program to ensure that it produces the greatest scientific value in the future and they claim, too, that it will detrimentally impact the progress of other missions in the Planetary Science Directorate. Okay, so what's NASA's stance on all this? Now, again, according to the Planetary Society piece, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said that the cuts were regrettable and that, quote, these were painful and hard decisions and we feel the loss throughout the NASA family, close quote. The Mars Sample Return Mission is being reworked. But when that rework is going to be complete, that's still kind of unclear here. Now, stay tuned. We're going to be monitoring this whole sorry mess. Well, Gene, what's your uh, what's your gut feel about uh, whether or not any or all of that uh, budget cut gets reinstated by the time the budget get passed, if a budget gets passed? 
My, yeah, that, you see, that's where you just nailed it. That's where the key is if a budget gets passed. And, uh, I think to the, uh, second release of the architecture, the new architecture may, may, may help, but that has to be expedited. What really, really hurts is the fact that 530 people had to be let go at, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And those are, you know, really really this brain drain that's going on is just going to hurt the agency down the road. Uh, I, I see the big winner here is really is the private sector. And they're going to get all of these really talented, really smart people. They may not be working on space projects either. They may be working in, in other, other things. Uh, it, it's just, just damaging to the agency, but where is this going to go? Your guess, Larry, your guess is as good as mine at this point. Yeah. It, it really, really all depends on if Congress can get, get its ducks in a row with the budget. And right now, because of, well, because of certain mitigating circumstances, which I'm not going to go into here, some of it is in, in our, you know, kind of wheelhouse. Uh, I don't see that happening at least until after, and I hate to say this, I don't see it happening until after the, the election. We're going to be doing continuing resolution after continuing resolution. Now, I do understand, too, that um, the folks over at uh, the Planetary Science Division, specifically with Lori Glaze and uh, and Nikki Fox, they are look over at NASA, they, too, are kind of looking at this thing and they've already warned that there are going to be lean times ahead. And that's basically because NASA's uh, science spending is locked in at 2023 levels and will be for another two years. So you're already going to see a very, very austere, you know, planetary science budget and, you know, science budget in general coming out of NASA for at least another two years. Uh, after that point in 2026, we'll have to see. But the other wild card in that is we're obviously going to see a new we, new administration in there. And uh, we'll have to see if we do have that new administration, there's going to be new agendas and so on. So that's another thing that's going <laughs> to throw us for a loop. All right. So, so right now, again, your guess is as good as mine in this whole sorry mess. Uh, it, it's, it's so sad to see, but... And you know the 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 issue becomes even if even if they get the money back or a good portion of the money back, their teams will by that time have been long dispersed. Some or all of them reemployed elsewhere, and right, it'll be so hard to get everything back on track again. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to hire whole new people. That's probably yeah. gonna be a good. Uh, that's probably going to be a good thing for for some folks that are just trying to to get into the agency and get a start. But you're 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 losing you're losing history when you lose an associate or an employee. You lose institutional history. knowledge. Yes, exactly. Brain, Thank brain drain. Thank you. That's what I was getting yeah. at. And um, it's going to be tough to get to get that back. It sure is. Okay, well, uh, on to the next thing, I guess. We could we could beat that horse to death, but let's not <laughs> anymore till next time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll Meanwhile, be watching. Yeah, we'll be watching that that this whole sorry mess and 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 uh hopefully it it'll, it'll it'll untangle itself. Let's hope so. 
Meanwhile, uh, news about the Artemis Accords. More signatories. Yep. Both Greece and Uruguay have become the 35th and 36th signatories of the Artemis Accords. Greece signed a the set of non-binding principles for responsible exploration on the lunar surface and became the 12th European Space Agency member to sign the agreement back on February 10th. In a statement, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said, Congratulations to Greece on becoming a member of the Artemis Accords family. The United States and Greece are longtime partners and friends, and we are excited to expand this partnership into the cosmos. Close quote. Greece's Foreign Minister uh, Georgios Petras, and I believe I've just butchered his name, and I do apologize for that, said, As humanity embarks on a great adventure, returning to the moon and preparing to travel beyond the moon, the Artemis Accords serve as a beacon of collaboration among nations, paving the way for, for sustainable excuse me, and peaceful exploration of space. Now, and also in a statement on February 15th, welcoming Uruguay, the U.S. State Department issued a statement saying the United States welcomes Uruguay as an esteemed partner in advancing our shared goals for peace and scientific discovery in space. So two new signatories of the Artemis Accords. Excellent. The more the merrier. Indeed. So on to uh, on to the, the the main event that we wanted to talk about tonight was the uh, SpaceX launch of the the IM one lunar lander, and um, it was the first U.S. lunar touchdown in over half a century. And it's not NASA behind the wheel this time, but a private company, Houston-based Intuitive Machines, has launched its moon lander from Florida, a significant milestone for private space exploration. And this Nova Sea lunar lander named Odysseus made its journey into the cosmos aboard a Falcon 9 rocket from SpaceX. It's not just a joyride, though. Odysseus is carrying six NASA payloads and one, uh, at least one, private payload, all set to gather crucial data about the lunar environment. Uh, one of my favorites, aside from Chantel's... Uh, Moon Phases project uh, is the Eagle Cam, which is a project designed by students at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Florida. The Eagle Cam will provide the first third-person perspective video of the lunar lander touching down on the moon. And this mission is part of a, a NASA's Artemis Moon Program, which aims to return astronauts to the moon within this decade. And that's currently set for late 2026. But as we've discussed on this show, don't hold your breath. <clears throat> ahead of China's planned moon mission currently scheduled for 2030. The strategy here, uh, NASA is leveraging the capabilities of privately owned spacecraft to cut down on costs. Uh, stay tuned, because if successful, this landing will mark the first controlled descent to the lunar surface by a U.S. spacecraft since the final Apollo mission in 1972. And more than that, it'll be the first by a private company, and the touchdown is scheduled for next Thursday, February 22nd. And uh, Chantel, again, thank you for, very much for being here. And uh, we wanted to talk to you a little bit more about, uh, about the IM-1 mission and your company's part in it. Um, you talked a little bit earlier before we started about uh, have, releasing a video soon. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Sure. So we have just received our first video from space as the intuitive machines I am one is heading towards the moon and it is super exciting. So they haven't released it to the public yet. Um, so this is, uh, it's just a spectacular video and I can't wait for everybody to see that. Um, but first off, I must say, uh, you mentioned the Eagle Cam, and we are excited about those folks too at Embry Riddle. And uh, one of the things that we were excited to do with this launch was celebrate and you know bring the community together in in celebration as we launched. And so we we actually had an event at the Hilton uh, Cocoa Beach Oceanfront before the launch occurred, and we invited students from Embry-Riddle, Florida Tech, um, you know, Mark and Larry, thank you so much for, for coming there as well and, and joining in the celebration um, and bringing everybody together to kind of discuss the mission and with a beautiful warm-up um, from our teams. And uh, we are super thankful to media.com for helping us um, host this event. And, you know, super excited. Uh, the energy was so high. And, you know, everybody, all the, the kids and everyone, it was just amazing. And um, well, Mark Mark and I can attest to that. Woohoo! <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, from there, yeah, we, we you know, bust. Everybody went, met at the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, we were getting ready for... The launch. We had over 300 people in the line, and I got a call from Kennedy Space Center notifying me that we had a scrub. And how was I going to tell all my guests? You know, it's time to go back home. And uh, <laughs> but you know what? Everybody was super excited, and they all showed up the next day for the support of the launch. And the buses were just exciting. Everybody was cheering. And, you know, we got out to the site and Kennedy Space Center did a wonderful job of setting up snacks and beverages. And we had the bleacher section uh, along Cocoa, uh, along the Banana Creek. And, oh, it was just so much fun. Very good. Mark, Mark anything to add to that? Yeah, just a question. Chantel, what was your impression of uh, the visitors that were, you know, part of the four space invitees as to how many were first time launch uh, viewers. And tell us about your history of seeing launches. Okay. Wow. Yes. We had a lot of people there that it was their first time ever uh, seeing a launch. And we also had a lot of locals, but the excitement for this mission going to the moon uh, brought a brand new energy. Uh, you know, it, you when you see the launch and then you feel it and you hear it it's just spectacular we had teachers that came in from uh los angeles and they'll be able to take that excitement into their classrooms and talk about the experience people around me were crying you know it's just such an emotional experience as well and for me as i sat there uh in disbelief that this was actually taking off um it was just uh, flawless, flawless launch, and and thank you to SpaceX and their teams um, for getting us off of the ground because it was absolutely beautiful. It was a one o five a.m. launch, so we got to see you know the the beauty of the night sky. And apparently, 
um, because it was so quiet, we were able to hear the launch as well. Uh, sometimes it, apparently it's not quite that great of a sound. So we are all, everybody in the audience was super lucky to hear this. Um, our artist was there and, you know, he just lit up. He was so excited uh, to see this go. Um, and, you know, and then we, now we sit and, and we discuss, you know, what, what, how, how is the mission going? And so we were excited to receive the first photos from the launch and they were spectacular, high resolution. Everybody can't believe how beautiful the images are that are coming back. Excellent cameras, um, and our, our excellent, uh, uh, you know, Excellent views. You know, our, our cube is out there in the vacuum of space, headed to the moon with no protecting cover. You know, we are uh, protecting the actual artwork and it's a first ever. It has never been done before. And yeah. And it's been a, been a long road for you, hasn't it? It sure has. Was that your first SpaceX launch and booster landing or previous? Oh, so the other thing too, yes. Yeah, so this was not my first one. I actually, the, the, the last SpaceX uh, launch that I saw live was right before COVID. Um, and that was a fantastic experience. But our guests at this launch got to experience two missions in one day. And they got to see the booster land as well earlier in the day. Around 5 o'clock, there was a launch as well. So, yeah, it was a very historic launch day on Valentine's Day. And it kind of aligned with our To the Moon with Love uh, celebration. Yeah, Chantel, I was going to ask what uh, Jeff Kuhn's reaction was to the, uh, to the event and seeing his artwork reach for the stars. Oh, he had a spectacular time. And as the images roll in, he is so impressed with the mirrored effect of the moons and how it's the, the, the reflective shine in the photos. He's just in awe. And so it will be wonderful to, to hear his official statements um, as he expresses it in such a beautiful way and can articulate so much better. Um, and connect the emotions of, of what what he's going through. I, I, I can't wait. He'll, he's going to release his statement after we release the videos uh, that we received. Mm -hmm. And you made all that possible, correct? Absolutely. Yep. It started with me reaching out to uh, you know Trent over at IM saying, hey, what can we put on the moon? And I have to say, when, when, I, when I say that, I, I think that it sounds crazy. Um, to think that it was it started out as an idea, and now here we are. It's it's really happening. You folks could be the uh, the first uh, sculpture on the surface of the moon. Well, the first sculpture on the south pole of the surface of the moon. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of that is that's exciting. Yes, that's marvelous. And and I have a little. Go ahead. Oh no, Sorry. you go ahead. I was just going to say that I have a little uh, a little story to tell in that uh, <laughs> I have to confess that this launch that I went to with with you and with Mark is the the first launch that I have been to since the early days of the space shuttle program. Uh, so 
it was a lot of fun for me too. It brought back memories and the, the evening was beautiful, nice and cool. And the sky was absolutely clear, visibility unlimited. I think we were able to see the rocket nozzle, the glow from the rocket nozzle of the upper stage until it finished its burn and it was in orbit. Uh, God, I'm, good Lord, guys, I'm stuck up here in cold, cold, cool New Jersey. You guys are just having way too much fun. So, I mean, it just happened to be with the with the trajectory of the rocket that its trajectory took it directly away from us, which meant meant that the, you know, the rocket nozzles were pointing straight at us so we could see them very easily the the whole time. Uh, Very impressive. Something I'll never forget. Now, did you guys take video or photos while, while it was happening or did you just enjoy the moment? We just recorded some audio of the launch, which we played at the beginning of this episode. And uh, aside from that, we just watched. Uh, thought about taking some video, but all I had brought along was my my iPhone. And it, it's an older one, and it was not really capable of taking any kind of decent video at all. So I just forgot about that and enjoyed the view. That's probably the wisest thing in the world you could do, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, that, I, I, if it's your first launch or if it's your first launch in a very, very long time, I always tell people, put the, the camera, put the binoculars aside. Bring them with you, sure, because yep. you're going to want to take in your surroundings. But at the moment of T0, put them down and just let your eyes sit there and absorb the moment. Yep. And yep. I'm, I'm glad you did. Wise words. Wise words. So, Chantel, uh, I, I know you, you spoke to this in the last time you were on our show, but I'm wondering if you have any updated information, anything to share yet about uh, Forspace's next project? Well, I think as we head to the moon, uh, we're going to find out uh, on February 22nd where, when when we land, uh, what the next opportunities are that are next projects that we're working on. Um, okay. we are planning a celebration as well for the landing day. Right now we have a, a success and we're celebrating regardless. Um, you know, shoot for the moon. If we miss, we land amongst the stars. That's kind of our, our motto right now. Very good. That's the way, that's the way all, all space exploration has to be, right? Mm-hmm. So we anxiously await, and and you know what? I think that this mission will hopefully open up the reality that we are going back to the moon, and hopefully a lot of commercial entities start to see how they can start participating in supporting scientific experiments with the technologies that they have, and then also new ways of marketing and branding and bringing awareness to what the future holds. So I think it's an exciting time, and I'm, I'm Really excited to see that um, Intuitive Machines is getting a lot of exposure, a lot of press, a lot of people talking about it. Um, over at X, uh, Elon retweeted the mission and they've got millions of views. So I think that it's it's just a wonderful opportunity to kind of expand everybody's imagination and then expand upon that and turn it into a reality. And I think, um, you know, we're here, we're always, we're always open to help have those facilitate those discussions and, and uh, make those things happen. So thank you guys for bringing awareness to what we're doing here at SpaceX and, or, and with force space. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
You're very welcome. Anytime. Anytime. In, indeed, and Chantel, just to, to kind of echo what you were talking about, having companies bring their own wares and, and try to experiment with them in, a, in an interesting way. Uh, but Columbia Sportswear has got uh, their, uh, their experiment on board. They're testing uh, a, uh, a material that uh, has been used in um, uh, thermal uh, clothing and so on. Uh, this, I believe, the, the material I think that is called Omniheat Infinity mm-hmm. or something along those yep. lines. And that material is already kind of woven in some jackets here on Earth. But if this stuff actually works the way they want it to, they'll be monitoring, you know, they've got sensors all over this sheet that is on the side of the, uh, the intuitive machine's, uh, Odysseus lander. Uh, seeing what temperatures that this this particular material is able to handle, and if this material can handle all of this, I be, and handle a wide variety of uh, of thermal environments, then perhaps it, you might see this as you know a replacement for mylar, say, on um, on spacecraft in the future. So this is again this uh, another private company bringing their own materials to uh, to the field, and this is something that uh, I believe you know your company, Forspace, is going to be involved in 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 a tremendous way in the future, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Absolutely. Yep. They were they stepped up to the plate and and uh, are pushing the boundaries of technology, fashion, and commercializing the space industry. Thank you for bringing that up. It's it's a Absolutely wonderful. Yep. And uh, just just for um, uh, just for size and get to let people understand how big this spacecraft is, uh, there's an interesting little fun fact snippet in the uh, IM1 uh, press kit here. Uh, one of them uh, says that the uh, Nova C, which is on its way to the south pole of the moon. It's roughly the size of an old school British phone box, aka just like the TARDIS and Doctor Who. So if you ever see <laughs> see that thing running around, ever ever see that thing set up somewhere, um, you're looking at the size of the Nova C uh, vehicle. Uh, so, I, and also another science fiction tie-in, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, if you saw the coverage on. Uh, on uh, YouTube or on any on on NASA television, the Nova, the control room over at Intuitive Machines is kind of circular shaped, and it was literally based on the bridge set from the USS Enterprise on Star Trek. They wanted to go ahead and have a collaborative environment, and the best way they thought they could do that is through this circular uh, pattern. So. Again, somebody's thinking over there, and they decided to go ahead and go with uh, with this kind of and to, with this kind of setup. So, I'm really looking looking for some good stuff to come out of uh, come out of Intuitive Machines for this mission and for the future. Oh yeah, you can you can Mark. see that um, footage from that actually uh, when they Intuitive Machines announced the first engine. Uh, yes. yes, absolutely. That's their mission control room right there. Yep, exactly. Mark, you've got something you wanted to add? 
Yeah, uh, Chantel, tell me. I, I know you're you're going to conferences. You're talking to people. What do you think is ahead with future space stations? Uh, I've heard of Orbital Reef. I have honestly haven't looked much at the information, but what about those uh, type things in our future? Oh, absolutely. We have um, Orbital Reef, as you mentioned. We've got uh, Axiom Space pushing the boundaries as well. Uh, they're starting out with their collaboration with the space station, and then um, eventually they'll be on their own. Um, so not only are we going to be developing more space stations uh, for as we move off Earth, and then we're also developing orbital transport vehicles uh, that will move between the space stations and fuel them up. And um, and then we know that, uh, as you guys uh, were discussing, we've got um, space debris mitigation as well. So all of those things people are designing and thinking about right now. Um, the beauty of the the space stations, um, aside from NASA International Space Station, is that we'll be able to do experiments um, and get really creative. We're going to be able to design things and, and utilize uh, systems that are really advanced and really futuristic and, and a lot of fun. And we'll be able to incorporate a lot more of our comforts that we live in every day. As I had mentioned on the last one, um, where I know that Blue Origin is really discussing uh, with a lot of universities, a lot of brands and stuff. And they're really, really starting to think about what that will look like. So the, the future is here, everyone. And if you have a skill set, I'm sure it can apply to the space industry. And it's a wonderful future. There's a hope for a better world. And, um, you know, we've got, we've got the space station right now that has uh, been proving that the research that we get out of this, the marketable markability that we've got out of it, you know, there've been videos that have been um, filmed on board the space station. There's just so many different fun things that we can learn from zero gravity and bring back to the earth. And, and, yeah, as we're as we're moving off Earth, you guys mentioned some of the Mars exploration, at Mars analog studies. That's very important in in our development on those stations as well. You know, who will these crews be? How will they get along? Um, and what will we need to entertain people? And these are all some of the fun discussions that people will get to think about. Yeah, a, a, a big one in my book is the mental health aspects of long term space travel. So, yeah, it's a, it's it's all very fascinating. Yep, Orbital Reef is not going to be the only ones up there too. Axum Space is uh, another uh, company that is uh, going to be attaching modules to the International Space Station as well, and uh, eventually uh, they they'll be using the ISS as sort of training wheels for themselves, and then finally, when the ISS is indeed decommissioned. It will, uh, their modules are going to be separated from the ISS and they'll become their own free flyer. Uh, there was a huge, um, hearing, uh, this week at, uh, on, at, in Congress and we'll go into that on, on another program, but it really, really was debating on the future of these commercial space stations and how quickly they can get up there. Um, and their, the whole purpose really was to try to see if we can avoid a gap between the ISS de being decommissioned and uh, entering Point Nemo, if you will, 
and going to uh, going to the commercial stations and what that's going to all look like. Uh, so the idea too is just not to have a gap between the ISS being de- decommissioned and these orbital these new commercial orbital stations going up there. Not only that, but developing the the, the uh, new commercial stations as a for commercial uh, develop for future com- uh, companies to do commercial development. I mean, one of the things that NASA does not want to do is is be the only vendor. They want to be, I mean, the only only tenant in these stations. They want to be passing this off to to other companies who wish to conduct research. And that's that's another thing that. You know, the, the hearing was trying to bring up and talk about, uh, you know, how, what's the best way of going about doing that. And right now that's, that's still being debated. So as our last story this evening, Mark, you have some new information about Starliner. Yeah. Lest we forget, uh, SpaceX does such an incredible job, but there is another component of crew launch that's coming along. And I saw this story from Boeing on uh, February 15th, just a couple days ago. And the headliner headline on it was Engineers Skydiving Enhances Starliner's Parachutes. Now, I've flown commercially. I've never been interested in actually learning to pilot aircraft. I like being a passenger. I cannot imagine, and this is a classic saying, jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. But there's a Boeing engineer named Ty Bowen who skydives. And his mind goes straight to the technical side of parachutes and how they can, he can make them better and safer. His first jump was in college. He was a mechanical engineering technology major, and he completed about 300 skydives during that time. More than 2,000 skydives later, the love of all things parachutes has not stopped. As a parachute systems engineer for the CST-100 Starliner program, he draws on a 32-year career spent designing, building, repairing, packing, and maintaining parachute equipment. He's worked on a variety of parachutes from solid rocket booster and orbiter drag chutes during the shuttle program, to those used by sport and military skydiver. He's an FAA certified master parachute rigger. He has his name on several patents. He designs parachute equipment that uh, he works on as being used by U.S. military branches and many NATO allies across the world for special operations. Uh, He has a fellow parachute systems engineer named John Pike. He's known Bowen for more than 15 years. They worked with him on the NASA Ares program. Uh, Mr. Pike came to Starliner in 2017 after spending 18 years with the U.S. Missile Defense Agency. He had his own parachute rigging company, worked with NASA and other designers building and testing parachute system for military and civilian. He learned parachutes in the mil- British military, working mostly for special ops forces. So I'd, I'd like to make the comment that uh, something like this, I think, is both an art and a science. Um, Ty Bowen said that parachutes are life-saving devices, whether they're on your body or a vehicle. When you need it, you need it. As mm-hmm. a parachute system designer, builder, packer, etc., I work as if I'm the one using it. 
working on crew vehicles and parachutes that return crew safely from space, he added, is the pinnacle of his career and drives him to perform at my best. So I think it's interesting that a couple of key people, I'm sure of many with Boeing, that have been looking into the problems with the parachutes for Starliner are, they're no slackers. I mean, it's easy to criticize Boeing for some of the problems they've had with aircraft, the delays with the Starliner program, but they're coming. And I think they're going to be a phenomenal uh, asset as part of our crew launch capability. And I think this little highlight of, of parachutes and the people behind them, you know, really gives me hope that we're going to see some exciting things coming up shortly. And I'm going to keep my eye on uh, launch plans for Starliner. I believe it's going to be on an Atlas V. And uh, that's not something. Or is it going to be on Vulcan? Does anybody recall? No, it's on Atlas, Mark. Atlas. I love the Atlas V rocket. I've seen mm-hmm. a number of them launch, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I, I, I can't deny Boeing's commitment, especially in light of all the money they've lost so far on, on this, the Starliner project. So uh, they're hanging in there. They're going to get it done. Just to reiterate what Mark was saying, parachutes are tough. I mean, SpaceX had its own issues with chutes on Crew Dragon. Uh, the Rosalind Franklin rover had its issues with parachutes. It, it, if you recall, that was the first delay when they were still connected with uh, uh, Roscosmos. They were going ahead, taking a look at that, and they're saying, well, the chutes aren't doing all that great. So they called in JPL, and JPL helped them try to troubleshoot the parachutes and so on. So chutes are, everybody says, oh, you know, they're nothing. Heck no, they are They are really, really tough to go ahead and nail. And you got to nail them right, as, as Mark pointed, pointed out, because, you know, people's lives are depending on this. Uh, to, uh, to kind of reiterate what Mark was saying, the uh, first crewed Starliner mission uh, will be uh, uh, with Butch Wilmore and uh, Sunita Williams. They'll be on board the uh, the Boeing Starliner capsule, I believe, for about uh, – they will be planning a two-week stay to the International Space Station and uh, will be working with uh, the ISS crew at that, that point uh, before heading home and uh, testing the, uh, the Starliner again, uh, this time through uh, – through the uh, the uh, the atmosphere and finally testing those parachutes, uh, NASA has enough confidence in the vehicle that they are getting this this ready to go. And uh, I believe uh, the last time I heard, it was they were looking at, at what what mark in April or 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 late March timeframe, if I'm not mistaken. That's the last uh, that I remember seeing. I was looking for information today and didn't see anything, uh, so I've lost yeah. that thread. I think. Yeah. So, so that so we're we're not we're 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 talking about this is this is not too long long from now. And again, yeah, I know Boeing has had a slew of problems with this spacecraft, but uh, it will be good to go ahead and and have a second. Uh, a second option to get to the ISS should the, the should the first option not be available, and uh, uh, I'm sure Boeing will continue to uh, fly off even after the uh, 
the International Space Station program is over, they'll probably get contracts to these commercial stations to ferry crew. So, you know, you'll have you'll have two providers and hopefully that's really, really sets up a low Earth orbit economy, which is, I believe, what everybody on this panel is hoping for and keeping their fingers crossed for. Yep. Everybody's looking for economies of scale. Well, very good, everyone. I guess that does it for us. I'd like to thank once again, Chantel Beyer for being here. Thanks, Chantel. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Gene and Mark and, and Larry. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. Thank you very much. You too. And, and good night, Gene. Good night, Larry and uh, Chantel. I just want to say thanks for stopping by. It was great to have you back over here to talk about the follow-up to uh, to the launch of Odysseus. And uh, I'm looking forward to February 22nd. I'll be thinking of, of you during landing time. And if you ever want to come back here for any reason, or if you just want to come over and talk space with us, by all means, the door is always open for you. Thanks so much for... Uh, taking the time to stop by with us again again tonight. Really, really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, and I sure will. And last, but certainly not least, good night, Mark Ratterman. Well, I'm just one of the little people. I do want to mention that uh, during the event at the Hilton on Cocoa Beach, I heard Chantel uh, introduced as being a force of nature. Chantel, can you say anything about that because you know i think you're phenomenal but there's there's more to this than meets the eye so tell us a you know brag on yourself a little bit more please oh boy thank you so much and i think what they meant was force of nature and the fact that we're pushing hard to really push um unique ideas and always thinking about uh different opportunities and always i'm always trying to support the space community, as well as everybody around this world and how to get them involved in the space industry. So I think, I think that's what they meant, but a super thanks to our national space society group that um, showed up and they, they opened up the doors to all of our local members here. Um, And, you know, we're really, really pushing forward. We're really putting the first art gallery on the moon. I'm so jealous. You guys over in Florida, you get all the luck here and all, have all the fun. Here I am over in cold New Jersey. <laughs> I got to move. Yes, you do. Maybe you want to come and join us on our celebration on February 22nd in Miami. Okay. All right. You got it. The border's still open, Gene. <laughs> we'll, we'll do. <laughs> and last, lastly, I'd like to thank our listeners for, for joining us tonight. Without you, we'd be nowhere. And, uh, we're, we're working on getting our website going again. It's, it's back up. Uh, we will have a whole bunch of links to everything that we've discussed tonight and probably one or two things we didn't get a chance to discuss. So look for us there at talkingspaceonline.com. And until next time, we'll see you then. 